This is my comeback story. This is my comeback story. This is Trey Lewis with Good Landing Recovery, and you're listening to The Comeback. And I'm humbled to, to be here today to stand in this pulpit because I know that, that, that great men have, have preached from here. Um, I've got my wife, Holly Rose Lewis, sitting down here on the front row. Um, we have our son, Cross. We have one of five children with us, our oldest is not even five and a half, so <laughs> you guys know how to, to pray for us. <laughs> but um, just incredible, um, a couple of years ago, um, I started a substance abuse program called Good Landing Recovery, and it is um, the only Christian medical clinical program in the Atlanta area. Um, so we started off, and a lot of people, and if you, I don't know what, what you guys know about that community, but it is normally very faith resistant. Once you get in to the medical clinical side, we take insurance and all that. And so a lot of people are, were just kind of like, hey, this isn't going to work. Like, I don't know how you're going to be able to preach Jesus, but then also get into and to be a legitimate healthcare facility. Now, I'll tell you the story, you know, um, kind of uh, the, the, the way that came about, I'll just give you a little bit of background for me is that, so by the time I was 24 years old, I had been through 10 treatment centers. I was an IV methamphetamine drug addict. Um, I was raised in North Mississippi. Um, I had four DUIs. I'd somehow managed to not get a felony. And I went to the Air Force recruiter, um, told multiple lies so that I could get in, did not tell him about this dark past that I had so that um, I could join the Air Force that in hopes that Uncle Sam would be able to fix these issues in my life, thinking that maybe I lacked some type of discipline or something like that, and that Uncle Sam was going to be able to fix that. But there's the saying that wherever you go, there you are. And so I leave and go 2,000 miles away from home. I end up on the central coast of California, and um, my life is still a mess. And, you know, I, I get there, I start using again, doing all the kind, you know, just all the normal stuff that I did. Um, and it was there, I, I, that, that is actually where I got my fourth DUI, and it was shortly thereafter is where Jesus encountered this broken kid from, from North Mississippi and radically transformed my life. I mean, it was night and day conversion. And then that is where I found out about Calvary Chapel out there. And you guys, I know you're familiar with the Jesus movement and, and the origins of, of Calvary Chapel. But um, I got hooked up as a friend of mine who was a firefighter on base and was telling me about this Bible study, this college and career group that went from 8 p.m. to 12 a.m. on a Saturday on a Saturday night, and I was like, you know, I knew that I loved God, but I was like, that is just insanity. I was like, there's no, there's no way that you can be in a Bible study for four hours. I had no grid for it, right? I mean, it just anything was like, you know, as long as anything is kind of 45 minutes to an hour. And so for the longest time, I was a little reluctant to go, go to, the, to the event with him. But when I finally went, there was this pastor and the grace, you know, just, I even think about the early days, right? I mean, Chuck just going through verse by verse, and these hippies, you know, these refugees out of this hippie movement that are sitting there so broken and the grace on their lives to be able just to, to sit there and listen to the word taught verse by verse for hours and just to see all of the work. And I mean, even the fruit of it, you know, now out here in Rochester. But um, I, so I was there and I was going there and that is where God just began to transform me. I found a group of, of young young people, college, career-age people that I guess fit my definition of what I thought was socially acceptable. You know, I mean, I came out of the party scene, played sports, any Christians that I knew, I thought they were super weird, and I just never had, I never could, like, find any parallels or common ground with them, you know, whenever I was younger, 
And whenever I saw that, and then, and I remember reading this book on Christian dating, and I just thought, nuts. I was like, nobody does this. I said, nuts, there's just no way. There's no way that anybody, you know, gets in a relationship and operates this way. And literally, I had a friend of mine who I watched him live this out in purity with his fiance, and I was like, oh my God, like, this is real. I was like, you, you really can be transformed, and you really can in the midst of a sexually insane culture that you can live out your faith and to be able to have the power and access the power to actually overcome all these things. And that's where my life changed. So to, to be back in a Calvary Chapel um, here in New York on the opposite coast. I mean, it's a big deal for me. to It's really just surreal just to look out and to see you guys and just even be reminded about how my life was transformed at Calvary Chapel in Santa Maria, California. So anyway, so that kind of starts my ministry into this whole addiction scene. And what I realized is that... While I love the, you know, that, that somebody in this room, you know, could be, you know, battling an opioid addiction this morning, and that this morning you get instantly delivered right there in your chair. I mean, you don't have to come down. While I love those stories, and they are, the majority of people have to be pulled out of society for a season and put into a place so that they can be discipled and they can be encountered again and again and again, and that is typically how this thing works. And so when I realized that there was a breakdown on how we needed to be able to pull people out and then to be able to treat the entire person. We have a staff psychiatrist. We have um, four master's level therapists. Um, we have a, you know, certified, two certified personal trainers on staff. And so we just hit from this entire approach. And whenever I designed the program, I wanted it to be in such a way because I remember the things that were very important in my road in, in, into recovery. So um, anyway, that is, that's what we do. We started, like I told you guys, a lot of people said, hey, this can't work. We started with one client. Never forget, I'm driving back from Mississippi with, this, with our very first client who sold his truck so that he could come to our program. He's actually still clean today, our very first client. And so we started with one house, and I'm just thinking, is that cool? <laughs> And, and, and so leading up to that, I mean, I, I just, I mean, you know, I'm just going to be, I'll just be honest with you guys. I think this story may encourage a lot of you. So I'm working for this company, Start Church, and, and I'm literally making more money than I thought that I would ever make in, in my wildest dreams. And I'm riding around and I'm, and I'm teaching other people how to start businesses and do all this kind of stuff. And I've got a, you know, a wife and three kids at the time. And, um, but it's something is stirring on the inside of me that I'm, I'm supposed to, to start, you know, my own ministry. I'm, supp- I'm supposed to do something, right? And so I'm, I'm telling this story this morning because I believe a lot of you or some of you in this room right here that, you know, you're kind of playing it safe. And I don't know what that's going to look like. I mean, I'm not saying like, you know, hey, you just, you, you forsake wisdom and you just run out and start your own company or anything like that. But what I'm saying is, it is my hope. I talk with my wife about this. We've been talking a lot about this lately is that people would, would, would step into their destiny. People would step in. It, it, is, it, is, it, is, it is good for you that whatever God has, even though it may seem scary, for you to be able to step out and do exactly what God has, has called you to do. And so I just want to empower you in that this morning. And so I'm there, and, I, and, I, and I'll tell you these things just so that you can understand um, the story and, 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 and maybe part of the risk if you ever find yourself in this scenario that you, that you will be encouraged in the midst of the unknown. And so we're there and, and I'm starting to get stirred on the inside that I'm getting, that, I, that, that, that maybe God is going to pull me out of this job. 
And so I'm talking with this church, and I'm trying to teach this church how to do some for-profit activities to be able to drive revenue, et cetera, right? And so they're kind of pushing on me that I would lead this initiative. And I didn't feel like that was the right, right thing or the right season to be able to do that, but it was just kind of, I was like, man, I, I'm, I'm ready to do this thing. And I get a call about three months later. So I guess this is early 2017 or something like that. I get the call like maybe three months later, and this guy calls me. His name's Bobby Humphrey, and he said, Trey, he goes, what are you doing with your life? And he was, and, and the way that I heard the question was, he was challenging me, kind of like, you know, like, you know, what, what are you over there doing, knucklehead? And, and, and I'm like, what do you mean, what am I doing? Like, I'm over here killing it, thank you very much, I'm doing just fine. And, and he goes, he goes, I believe God has so much more for you, and he goes, whatever you want to do, he goes, I want to back it. And I just was you know, just kind of taken back by that. And then you start praying and you start dreaming with God. And that's fun, right? Because you're still safe. And what you know that's paying the bills and all that stuff is great. And you start kind of thinking theoretically and, and just sort of, you know, kind of dreaming with God like what this could look like. And then, then we land that we're going to do a for-profit treatment center that's going to do frontline ministry, but then also 25% of our company is going to go fund the local church and go into fund missions all over the world. And so you get excited about it, and that's still all fun. That's still this kind of fun stage. But then, finally you get to a point where you've got to go in and talk to your company about a transition out. And when I went in, you know, I was kind of, I mean, just without going into all the details, I was a pretty important part of that team and made them a lot of money. And... And I went in with my plan to, to do an exit strategy. And everything that I thought was about to happen, it was going to be this kind of one, two-year period where I wasn't even going to have to take a salary from this young company. And pretty much the exact opposite happens. And I remember coming home that night. And you can talk about this stuff all day long. But whenever you come home, and I'm looking at my wife, and I'm looking at my three children and being like, oh my God, like what, what have I just done? Like what in the world you know, this isn't like, I don't like walk back across the street, you know, because any entrepreneur, when you're getting ready to start something, you finally get this narrative where you're like, okay, you know, like if it doesn't, I, you know, I, I'd rather, I would rather try and fail than to play it safe and just wonder what if, okay? Any entrepreneur that's going to step out eventually lands on that narrative and that's kind of the, the catalytic, you know, thoughts that you've got in your mind so that you eventually say, okay, I'd rather go ahead and risk this thing. And while I knew I wasn't going to end up homeless, if this thing didn't work out, I mean, this is like brand new. Like there's no model for it. There's not like, oh yeah, those 40 people did it too. Why don't you just hand it to me in a box and I'm going to put it in play. And of course it's going to work. I mean, this is like, we're, you know, we're going, we're preaching Jesus in the midst of, of, of setting up, you know, healthcare counseling. And if you know anything about that world, it's just not, it's just not very popular. So so we do it, and I'm looking at my wife. It's just one of the most surreal nights of just thinking, what in the world have we done? And then by March, we hardly have any money left in the bank. And I'm like, this is, the, I guess, yeah, March of, of, of 18. And we have hardly any money left in the bank. And, I, and still, I was still at peace, but, but I was confused on, on what the numbers were doing. And then about that time, sometime in April, May, we go profitable. And then before we hit the one-year mark, that we've got more money in the bank than what we started with. And it's not about that stuff, but it was just to see God's hand on it and that even in the midst of uncertainty and all that, he was still there and he was still faithful. And now we have 70 clients in the program. We've got, I think, right at 29, 30 people on staff. 
And just in two years, and it blew my mind that we're over able to be able to preach the gospel and we're able to see, you know, money go out to churches and to missionaries and all that kind of stuff like that. So I tell you that story this morning, that if you're thinking through that and God's putting a dream in your heart, you know, seek counsel, run with people or whatever it is, but just do, don't play that stuff safe. Like there will be a time where you're looking, you're just, when it's where the rubber meets the road and anything that you're going to do that where, where God starts to stretch you and challenge you. And so whatever that front line looks like for you, I just want you to be empowered and encouraged in that today. Okay? All right. So the title of today's message is A Comeback Story. And we're going to be in one of my, my, my favorite characters in the Bible, King David. And I think the reason that I love him so much is because he made so many mistakes and that no matter when I, when I think about my life and some of you in this room who have known great mistakes, that we can always look at that guy and just be like, man, if God can use that joker right there, there is still hope for my life. There is still hope. There, there's no, no matter how far you, you know, down you've gone or what you've done, or even, even right now that you're sitting in the midst of sin, that God is still able to be able to use your life and to be able to redeem your life. You know, I, 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 lo- I, just, I love the broken. I love the most vulnerable. I, I mean, just, just those that have, that have known struggle, have known great failure. I understand that. And I know what it's like to run with the Lord for a season two and to be all in and then to start living in compromise and to fall into sin and have to come back. I don't know if anybody knows that, but that, that's a hard place. And when I first came to know Jesus, I mean, all that stuff that I did in the past, that was done in ignorance. And that was easy for me. I was like, look, I was, I was unregenerate. I didn't know any better, right? But then when you know God and you've tasted and you've seen the goodness of God and you run with him for a season and then knowing better to fall back into that and then to try to come back out of that, that's a hard thing. But I want you to know that it is possible and God wants you to repent of those things and to return to your first love. And we're going to talk about what it looks like to come out of a dark season. I think you guys will um, be pleasantly surprised on maybe shocked at some level. I mean, whenever we think about David's life, we think about Bathsheba, the, the great mistake, right? When you think about like, what, what's, what's the big kind of, you know, major thing that David did? We always think about Bathsheba, the adultery, premeditated first degree murder, all that kind of stuff like that. And that is, that's a major thing. But I think that you're going to be shocked what happens in 1 Samuel 27. If you guys will read with me, I'm going to, and again, trust me, I'm trained verse by verse. You guys, I don't have you know, three weeks to take you guys through a whole series, so we're going to jump around a little bit, but I'm going to cover primarily 1 Samuel 27 through, through 30, okay? So 1 Samuel 27, 1 and 2, David said to himself, someday Saul will kill me. There is nothing better for me than to run to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will become tired of looking for me anymore in the land of Israel, and I will get away from him. So David got up and crossed over with the 600 men to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. Um, I, mean, I'm, I mean, I'm just, I know you guys are well-taught, well-fed congregation. So uh, King David, uh, country boy that cultivated the presence of God. I, I feel like there, there's some, I mean, there's some country boys in the room, right? Right? Some hunters in the room. Anybody out here? I mean, you know, it's, it's just so funny. I see the camo back there. I, I just, you know, what's interesting too, whenever, whenever you grow up in, 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 in kind of North Mississippi or, I, I, you know, I, whatever, we're like down in the South. And so when you think about New York, you think the entire state is New York City. 
And that's just all you kind of, that's all you think about it. Whenever I was in the Air Force, like I met a girl in the Navy who was from upstate New York and she was talking about her family hunting. And so I was like, I was like, y'all hunt up there? I was like, are you kidding me? I had no idea. So anyway, I thought you guys could appreciate that. I mean, David was ultimately this country boy who cultivated God's presence when nobody was looking. Like he wasn't doing it for 500 likes on Facebook, right? He wasn't taking a picture of his morning coffee and his, you know, Jesus speaking devotional book so that he could get blown up on Instagram or anything like that. Like he cultivated God's presence when nobody else was looking. That's what was happening in his private life. I want you to understand how important it is for private devotion. You know, we always have these ideas of greatness and how God's going to use us and all that kind of stuff like that. If you don't have roots and you don't have any, this is what I'm talking to people in my treatment center all the time. I'm like, what you do in private is eventually going to manifest publicly. So you have to do it when nobody else is looking. Whenever nobody else, it's it's, it's not about, you know, who's going to applaud you and encouragement and all that stuff is great. Nothing wrong with Facebook. I use it as an outlet to be able to preach the gospel and all that stuff like that. But we want to be able to seek God because of who he is and it's not because of who's looking you know or who we're trying to oppress or anything like that so David has this heart David gets anointed king and just because he was anointed king some of you right now have got calls on your life but it is it, but there is a disconnect between where you are and what God has for you and there's going to be a season of preparation. It's important for us to be able to display humility and meekness and to continue to seek God even when what we believe that God has for our lives is not manifested in the natural yet. And so David goes through this season. You guys know the deal where Saul wants to kill him. And and, and so David is running for his life and, and, and God continually delivers him. You know, and whenever I used to teach this, because what's happening right here is what I just read to you out of 1 Samuel 27. David has let now fear and depression and despair drive him to partner with the mortal enemies of Israel. I mean, these are long-standing enemies. I mean, you should have to realize, I'm at 27, you back up to 17, go 10 chapters before that. This is David standing in front of Goliath. The Philistine that does the Babe Ruth thing, right, stands in front of him and says, this day, boy, I'm about to kill you. I'm taking your head, and I'm not just doing that. I'm taking all your boys, too. And he delivers on it. He delivers on it, right? And now 10 chapters later, David, full of fear and depression, is now going back to the actual kingdom from where, where Goliath came from, and he's going to partner with him. You know, how do you get in a place like that? Ten chapters before, a teenager full of boldness, the righteous indignation of God, of calling out and pointing to this giant and then delivering on it. Ten chapters later, he's so full of fear and despair. If Saul would have ever told him to do that, he never would have done it. If Saul would have been like, you're banished from the kingdom, you're going to go live and you're banished to the to, to Philistine partnership for the rest of your life, he never would have done that. But fear and despair, when we let that get inside of our souls and start to be our drivers, it will take us to places where we should not go, where we do not want to be. They're not good drivers. They're not good leaders. David ultimately lives as a mercenary under Philistine control for the next 16 months. This is what I'm talking about. When we think about Bathsheba was a big deal, David is riding around as a mercenary 
all day, every day, killing men and women and looting villages for profit, not God-ordained battles. He is literally going in there for profit as a mercenary and dropping hammers on these people and taking all of their stuff and living under the king of Gath, this Philistine ruler. And he does this for a year and a half. And then in 28, this gives good insight. Sorry, 1 Samuel 27 verse 12. Skip down to verse 12. And it says, And Achish believed David, saying, He has made the people of Israel utterly abhor him, so he will become my servant forever. So what that means is, this is insight into a lot of you that have had hard seasons. Maybe right now you're starting to to be in compromise, and the enemy wants to feed you the lies and saying, because you're doing stuff that is separating you from the people of God, then you're going to be the enemy's servant forever. And what you have to understand, that's a complete and total lie. That right now today, no matter what is happening in your life, what kind of compromise that you have going on, you're abusing the painkillers this morning, right? You're starting to flirt with your secretary a little too long. You know what I'm saying? Or whatever that might be that, that is happening, right? I, 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 the, the Holy Spirit, it's, it's so fun to talk about this stuff, but I like when the Holy Spirit starts to come and put his finger on stuff, right? And you, and you start to realize, like, those are the areas of compromise, but what you also have to understand is, is that you don't have to live there and that you're not going to be a servant of the enemy forever. And that even today, while you're in this place, you're saying, God, no more. You pull out your cell phone right now and you text that relationship that you know that you're not supposed to be. The only time that I'm going to tell you to text while I'm talking, okay, is that whenever you pull that out, you're saying, hey, this relationship is over. I don't need to be in this any longer. That while you're underneath this, because when, you, when you're underneath this type of anointing and God is speaking into your life, that I want you to understand there, there is an enemy that doesn't care about what you're learning in here right now. And you have to make real commitments. More important than when people flood the altars and do, I, I love all of that stuff. Trust me, I do. But more important than any of that, I like when people make real decisions to say, man, this is it. I'm drawing the line in the sand today. Whatever that is, that pornography, whatever that kind of stuff is, I'm drawing that line in the sand today and I'm done with it. I'm done letting it come in and be a cancer in my soul. I want it out. I'm not going to live like this anymore. I'm going to put the accountability. I'm going to schedule a meeting with Pastor Dave, with Pastor Dan, with Pastor Larry. I am going to schedule a meeting so that I could come and get right. I'm not going to live like this. I'm not going into 2020 with this stuff in my life. Now we move over to 1 Samuel 28, 1 and 2. And it said, Now it happened in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to fight with Israel. And Achish said to David, You assuredly know that you will go out with me to battle, you and your men. So David said to Achish, Surely you know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, Therefore I will make you one of my chief guardians forever. You know, a lot of us would say, Man, that would be a big deal. You know, I would... You know, if I was over in another country, I mean, I love America and all that stuff, it's great. But I mean, if I went to England and I could be, you know, second in command, if I could be the chief, the head of secret service or, you know, whatever they call those guys over there, you know, that, that would be, that would be a re- remarkable feat. But, but the problem is, is that David wasn't called to be a chief bodyguard. What was David called to be? He was called to be a king. Tell me who your friends are, I'll tell you who you are. That's not just something your grandmama said, Okay. This is real. You know, a lot of that you come in here, you've got a heart for the things of God, but, but whenever you leave here, you're, you're actually, your network of people are godless and they're carnal in the way they think. 
And you're so fixed on money or, 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 or success or whatever it is, like with your work, that literally like you're running with those people. Maybe you show up here on Sunday morning and you're wondering why there is this big disconnect between what God has for you and where you currently are. And so often it is because of the company that we keep. And I'm not talking to 16-year-olds right now. You know what I'm saying? You're like, oh, Trey, that, that's the message for the youth conference. No, I am talking to the adults in this room right now. Whether you are 18 or whether you are 93, it doesn't matter. That you tell me who you run with, I will tell you who you are. So David is staying with people right here that are surrounding him that don't have the call of God in their lives. He actually serve, serves a foreign God. And so the vision that he has for David's life is saying, you're going to be my chief guardian when God himself said, you are going to be king. That's a big disconnect. We wonder, like, why, 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 why am I never there? Why, why don't I ever see the fullness of God? Why don't I ever see God's hand in my life? Because we live double lives. And we, and we come in here and we're just, yes, Lord, I'm all in. But then out there and our friends, the people that are speaking into our lives are something completely different. I'm telling you that I would not be standing here leading a substance abuse program to see all the success and all that kind of stuff if I would have surrounded myself with the people that I ran with 20 years ago. I don't have misguided loyalty. Trust me when I tell you, those guys that I grew up with in high school, that I played sports with, and I got 20 plus years of history with them, and we partied, and we got the funny stories, and we got all that stuff. I missed my 20th class reunion this year, not because I thought I was going to go back there and, you know, party or do something dumb, but like, I didn't even want to hear it. I didn't want to have to pray and get that junk off of me for the next week, you know. And I knew that if I didn't walk in there and grab the microphone and like preach the gospel the first second I walked in, it would just be something weird, you know. And, I, and I'm not trying to put some kind of weird burden on you, you know, that you, don't, that you don't, you know, talk to those people or anything like that. But what I'm trying to say, if they have a real voice of influence in your life, don't find it strange that there's always a disconnect between where you are and what God has for you and you can't ever get there. It's a big deal because what he's saying right here, if David stays where he's at right here, this is as far as he ever goes. As far as he ever goes. He never hits his full. Don't you want to know? Don't, don't at some point, I mean, you, just, you sit in here every Sunday. You know, we get so much spiritual food that in any other part of the, you know, you, you just kind of think, well, I'm, I'm just a church member. You have been inundated with so much word. You know, I don't know how it is up here in Rochester, but I'm sure it's similar. You know, that you probably got four or five Christian radio stations that you can go and find in your car. You got XM radio. You got a couple more. You got Kurt Franklin's praise station. You got the message. And then if you're Catholic, you got like 20 more, whatever. But the deal is like we, we get so much word, you know, and, and we know so much. But at some point I'm like, dude, I, I, I don't want to just sit on the sideline. You know what I mean? You just like, like, like I, I just, I, I've got to know. I've got to know, like, is it real? Like, this, this thing is not just to see Pastor David get up here and burn every Sunday. Like, I want to know. I mean, m most of this stuff is lived out in the mundane anyway. Like, it's not like your faith isn't just lived out for an hour on Sunday morning or two hours. It's lived out in the mundane. I mean, I, you know, I think about, you know, playing high school football. I mean, you, you, can you imagine going through all the practices, going through two-a-days, going through hell week, going through all that stuff, and then on Friday night, be like, nah, I'm not going to dress out. I'm good. I went through all that, went through all that weight training, obliterated my legs day in and day out. But on Friday nights, you know, I'm just going to stay at the house. I'm just going to sit up in the stands and watch. Don't you want to not watch? Don't you want to play? Listen to stuff every single Sunday, get full of faith and be like, man, I know God has something. Well, I want to know. I want to take my place in God's kingdom. 
I want to know what that looks like. David is so depraved, so far from the call of God in his life because he's positioned himself around these people, he is literally getting ready to go back and to fight his own countrymen. This is what I'm talking about when, when, when in my opinion, I mean, Bathsheba's a joke compared to this. I mean, th- th- think about it. I mean, th- think if you're from Buffalo and Rochester decides, hey, we're going to go and attack Buffalo. Right? I mean, you're, you're, you're here, li- living here in Rochester. And then, you know what I'm saying, and the mayor of Rochester hits you up and be like, you know what, I'm tired of those dudes over there in Buffalo. Let's go back. And, and then you've got all your family and friends in Buffalo. And here you come riding in on the Humvee, you know what I'm saying, wielding the 50 cal, getting ready to kill all of your family and friends. Like, 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 you know what I'm saying, when I, when I bring it in those terms, we get like, dude, there's no way. Like, I can't even get my mind around that level of depravity. And this is what David is about to do. He's been called to be king and the enemy's got him so entrenched in this that he is literally getting ready to go back and, 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 and shed blood on his own countrymen. That's where he's at in his life. But God. But God who is rich in mercy to be able to break in even when we don't have the ability to be able to do it. In 1 Samuel 29, 1 through 5, we're skipping over because it goes through this whole thing with with Saul and a median, that's just, it should be weird to jump into that. So we're going to 29, 1 through 5, right? Then the Philistines gathered together all their armies at Aphek, and the Israelites encamped by a fountain which is in Jezreel. And the lords of the Philistines passed in review by hundreds and by thousands, but David and his men passed in review at the, at the rear with Achish. Then the princes of the Philistines said, what are these Hebrews doing here? And then Achish said to the princes of the Philistines, is this not David? The servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me these days or these years. And to this day I have found no fault in him since he defected to me. But the princes of the Philistines were angry with him. So the princes of the Philistines said to him, Make this fellow return that he may go back to the place which you have appointed for him to Ziklag. And do not let him go down with us to battle. Lest in the battle he become our adversary. For with what can he reconcile himself to his master if not with the heads of these men? Is this not David of whom they sang to one another in dances saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? Anybody here ever served in the military? Awesome. Thank you for your service. Anybody ever seen Pass and Review? It is unbelievable. I, I, I just, it, it is, if you, if you haven't, Google it, you know, YouTube it, whatever. But when you watch thousands, hundreds and thousands of military troops pass before high-ranking officers and they hit eyes right. It is remarkable to the sound of that drumbeat. It, it, is, it is an amazing thing. But I want you just to picture thousands of troops out in front of you. And you just imagine as if, if we just now take this back and I'll make the analogy as Americans. As you're sitting there, man, you're looking at the, at the Army. You're looking at the Navy, the Marine Corps, the Air Force, all that stuff. And then all of a sudden you see this detachment of ISIS soldiers. And you're like, uh, what are they doing here? And, and they're like, no, no, they're cool. <laughs> like, don't worry about it. They, you know, like, it's just, you know, we're going to go out in the battlefield. You'd be like, hey, I, I, you know, you can do that if you want to, but I'm not going to fight with them. I mean, there's no way. Like, I know what they're about. I mean, they, they used to sing songs about David. Saul is thousands. David is 10,000. Now, you're telling me this joker right here is about to go out to war with us? I mean, there's no way. And so what happens is, is they turn on this, and they're telling the king of God, we are not fighting with that guy. There is no way that this guy that has destroyed, that has shed more blood on our people than anybody else in history is now about to go and fight with us. I don't care what you tell me, he's not going to go. 
And so what happens here, now if you jump down to verse 8, 29, 8, this is David whining like, a, like he's just like a little baby, right? Da- so David said to Achish, but what have I done? And to this day, what have you found in your servant as long as I've been with you that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my Lord, the king? What appears to be rejection and sometimes failure in your life is actually God's deliverance. You guys know what I'm talking about. You think about all those old girlfriends, all those old boyfriends, right? Whenever that relationship, for some reason, it's going south. You might be in it right now and the thing is going south. You're like, oh God, but I love her. (laughs) You know, please please don't take her, you know, whatever it is, right? And God is like, you don't understand that if I let that happen, it is going to be a train wreck that you are not going to be able to bear. And and we're sitting there, you have a job that's going south, a promotion, or whatever it might be, and what feels like rejection, what feels like the end of your world as you know it, actually God's deliverance in your life. Trust God in the midst of the adversity. When things begin to fall apart like that, now I'm not saying if you're the one that is causing it because of some sin issue in your life or something like that, but I'm telling you, God knew David's plan. He knew that he had called him to be king and that if God allows him to go and do that, there could possibly be no way that he was going to be able to go back and lead people if he would have gone into battle against them. God doing for David what he could not do for himself. And he does that for us time and time again. I think about how many times that God has stepped into my own life when I didn't deserve it, when I was the one that caused the storm and yet he would put, go in and pull me out of the deepest and darkest places because he's faithful to be able to do that. And now we're going to look at the keys, the comeback story. This is what we want to look at. 1 Samuel 30. So now it happens. So imagine this. David has now been living as a mercenary for 16 months. He's just been rejected by the Philistines. He's homeless. He didn't know what's going on. And so now David makes the 25-mile-ish march back to Ziklag so that he can be with the comfort of his family. So 1 Samuel 30, now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag, and burned it with fire, and had taken captive the women and those who were there. From small to great, they did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire. And their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were, who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Anahom and the Jezreelites, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. Understand these men who have followed David, who have believed that God's hand was on David's life, and because of fear and all these issues in David's life, David has now led them to a foreign land where they have served as mercenaries for 16 months, and now they've been rejected. They don't understand what's going on. They're bewildered, and they're thinking, I just want to go home to my family. I just want to go home to my wife. I just want to be able to see my children. I'm going to get some comfort there. And they show up, and as they're approaching the city, they see fire and says, man, those are not cooking fires. That is somebody has laid siege on this city, and they show up there and realize that everything that they know and love, and their one thing that they have left has been taken from them. Guys, this is where you have to be relentless. You find yourself in a season like this. You find yourself in a season where nothing is making sense. You've got your own men wanting to stone you. 
I mean, this, this is how frustrated they are. David, understanding that, 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 that he's the one that's responsible. He's the one that's led them into this place. And the irony of this is what David has been doing for the last 16 months is now exactly what has happened to him. And so David is in this place, and this is where most people quit. This is where most people say, man, I've done too much. I've caused too much dirt. There's no way that I can return. There's no way that I can go back to the people of God. But David did not have that revelation. David had a different revelation. Says, And David strengthened himself in the Lord. What does that mean? You know, we say that and we say, man, strengthen yourself in the Lord. What, 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 what in the world does that mean? Does that mean that I turn on some, some YouTube videos and watch Dwayne the Rock Johnson and get myself pumped up? Like, what, 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 what does that mean? This is when you have to know truth. I was preaching in a treatment center back in Mississippi several years ago, and I opened up for Q&A at the end of it, and this girl was sitting on the front row, and she looked at me, and she said, you know, every night I get bombarded by all of these thoughts, and I get tormented in my mind every single night. She's on this front end of this, this, this journey into recovery, out of addiction. And I just looked back at her, not to, to, to put her on the spot or anything like that. I said, tell me how many Bible verses you know. She goes, I don't know any. I said, so, so the enemy has had unhindered access into your mind for decades to be able to drop off and deliver every single lie that he wanted to unhindered so you don't even know truth. You have no idea what truth is. And so the, so the deal is, like, we wake up in the mornings, and even when we know truth, we still have feelings, right? I mean, there's times when I wake up, and I still feel like the meth addict you know, from back from Mississippi from 20 years ago. There's times when I don't feel like the CEO. It's times when I don't feel like the man of God. It's times when I don't feel like that I ought to be leading. But the deal is, like, I, I'm not led by my feelings. Feelings are, are shallow leaders. They're the most shallowest form of leadership. You've got to know truth, and you've got to be able to center on truth. That's what we've got to do. We've got to know what God's Word says. You know, that he's called us, that we're a new creation. I can't tell you how many times that whenever my feelings are, are, are off, that I go back and I center on Psalm 91, that I center on Psalm 23, that I remind myself that I'm a new creation, that God's called me to this. And even though I feel this way, that's not reality. What's reality is, is what God's word says about us. That is why it is so important that you know God's word for yourself. And just like I'm preaching up here on Sunday morning, there are times that I will be in my kitchen in the morning at 6.30 in the morning with a cup of coffee, preaching the same stuff back to, my, back to myself. To be able to encourage me for the day whenever all the thoughts of the enemy and all the stuff to, that, that we get bombarded with to push us off of our course, that we strengthen ourselves in the Lord. Then it says that David, said David strengthened himself in the Lord. This is... 30 verse 6, you know, we'll call it B. And then I'm going to jump into 7. It says, Then David said to Abathar the priest, Amalek's son, Please bring me the ephod here to me. And Abathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. So David strengthened himself in the Lord. And I want you to understand, I mean, the, the, the last person that ought to have to pray about war and if they should battle, it's David. I mean, David is a man of war. For the last 16 months, he has done nothing but, 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 but cause bloodshed on all of these people. He is a man. I mean, they, they've got songs about him already. He is the last person that should have to pray about this. 
I mean, it's like it should just be a knee-jerk reaction. That's what's in him. That's the way God made him. These people have taken my wife. They've taken my families. Like, of course I'm going after them. But David still had the discipline in the midst of all that when his men are thinking about stoning him, when they desperately need leadership, that David, instead of just, you know, coming up and getting all behind ego and puffing his chest up and saying, we're going to do this and we're going to do that, David strengthens himself in the, in, in, in the Lord, comes out of that horrible season, prays, spend time in, in, in prayer, and then he gets the word of the Lord. And he goes and does what God calls him to do. And God says, surely you shall go and recover all. And that's exactly what David did. And it said that he recovered all plus some. Coming out of a broken season right now, you desperately need encouragement. I just believe that as you seek God in prayer and as you strengthen yourself in the Lord, that God will speak to you that surely you shall recover all plus some. As we submit to him. You say, Trey, but... You know, I'm too explosive. You know, I'm, I'm too scared. I just got out of this sermon series back in Atlanta called Unqualified. We looked at the life of Peter. Peter, when was, you think, Trey, I'm, I'm just, I've, I've got, I'm too emotional. <laughs> right, I've got too much of a temper. I've got too much of this. I've got too much of that. I mean, if you want to find some encouragement, you go get in Peter's life. I mean, you look at Peter. I mean, that, you know, and, and this isn't an excuse for us to stay there. Obviously, we want the love and the relationship with the Holy Spirit to be able to transform us on the inside. But when I look at Peter's life, I mean, Peter literally took the creator of the universe and had a one-off with him and tried to correct Jesus. I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, this, this is like, I mean, I can't even get my mind around, like, he's kind of put his arm around, like, hey, Jesus, you know, I'm not sure, you know, I mean, he's trying to correct the creator of the universe, Jesus referring to him as Satan, and whenever, whenever, and denies Jesus three times during crunch time, and that, and, 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 and there in Acts, whenever they dropped that first gospel bomb, who does Jesus use? Peter. Gideon, so full of fear, so full of doubt, thinking he's from the least tribe and he's the weakest in his entire family that God chooses him to be able to deliver a nation. We see this all the time. I want you to understand the same Holy Spirit that gives David his comeback story is the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same Holy Spirit in this room today that lives on the inside of you. It's the same one, and we've got to be able to get, get a revelation of that so that we understand the thermonuclear power that we need unto change is on the inside of us. It's the most powerful message. It's the most, it, 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 it is the greatest power on planet Earth that is living on the inside of us to give you a comeback story, to help you walk out of whatever it is, depression, divorce, addiction, a wayward child, whatever it is, all of that on the inside to be able to bring you back out of that season, to be able to put you so that you can take your place in the kingdom living on the inside of you if you've got a relationship with Jesus. A couple of other things real quick as I, as I, as I go ahead and dismiss us. I don't know if the worship team, I don't know exactly how you guys do that, but um, the um, two things I just did that are so important to me whenever I was coming back um, out of a really hard season of life. And I remember this pastor up in Northern California and he said two things to me. He goes, take, take your place in the kingdom. Position yourself on the front line of the battle. You say, Trey, why would I want to do that? Because whenever you position yourself on the front line of the battle, that's where your heart becomes alive. You know, if, you, if, you're, if we're over in Afghanistan and you're on the front line, you're fighting the Taliban or whatever, Right, you, your heart, you know what I'm saying, what are you going to be engaged in? You're going to make sure that you're destroying the enemy and that you and your team stay alive. Okay, if you fall back in ranks, 
then you're in the safe zone and all you care about is, you know, what movie's going to be played or what you're having for dinner that night. So when you get on the front line of the battle, right, you, you, you know what I'm saying, wherever you put your money, you know, if you go and, and, and invest $100,000 in some stock or whatever it might be, right, that's where you're attending. Nothing wrong with those things, but what I'm trying to tell you is, is that whenever you stand on the front line of the battle and you start to advance God's kingdom, that's where your heart is going to become alive. You need to figure out what that is. You say, well, Trey, I, I don't preach or whatever. It doesn't matter. It can be coffee ministry as long as you understand what you are called to so that you are doing whatever you can to be able to advance God's agenda. And then like I said earlier, you tell me who your friends are, I'll tell you who you are. Guys, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. It is a privilege and an honor to be able to serve you. If you or someone in your family is struggling with addiction, please give us a call. It's 770-570-7422.